0: completely eradicating not just reducing completely eradicating i believe in creating a future and a work culture where people wait for mondays not fridays and get to do their most meaningful work the aim of this podcast is not to provide you more content but instead shift the context under which you operate This podcast is titled Choosing Leadership because that is what leadership is, a choice. In each episode, I will celebrate leaders who have made such choices which are not always easy and comfortable, but which has helped them get to where they are today. And let us celebrate the leader in us for choosing to move over our fears, for choosing to be motivated by something bigger than ourselves and for choosing to deal with every challenge that comes on the way, let us celebrate you right now for stepping into the unknown and taking courageous action as those were the moments when you chose leadership. At the end, I will share how you can be our next guest on this podcast. And with that, let's get started. Violetta is the founder of CatChain and Female Switch. She calls herself a multiple specialist, has a background from Russia and is now based in Netherlands and Malta. In the interview, she shares her journey from being an academic researcher to an entrepreneur, and what she has learned along the way. She shares how her background in linguistics, neuroscience, psychology and game theory all come together in her role as the leader of her organization. She also shares her journey from being a quite shy kid someone who loves being on stage today. Hi, Violetta. Welcome to the Choosing Leadership podcast.
1: Hi, thanks for having me here.
0: Wonderful. It's it's my pleasure to have you here with us today. And for our listeners, can you start by sharing a little bit about who you are and what do you do?
1: Sure. Well, uh, I guess I am what people call a serial entrepreneur these days, even though I don't like to call myself that. But the fact that i actually have uh, two startups running i guess officially it's that so um, it all started more than four years ago when i became an entrepreneur a very traditional story Uh, we decided that we wanted to grow an idea we didn't know how to do that so we were scouted by an incubator that's how i ended up in the netherlands and uh, you know the rest is history and uh, of course uh, looking back probably it hasn't been the easiest or the best time for the first time entrepreneur to uh, get on this journey with everything that's been happening for the past years. But the fact that um, the company, the first one is still alive and moreover, we actually established a second one and non-profit in the middle of the pandemic. I guess it says that, uh, well, it hasn't been that bad and you can actually thrive in uh, uncertainty and during the pandemics as well.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. And can you share a bit, of, bit more of the backstory here, right? What is, uh, what is the background which led you to where you are today?
1: Yes, sure. So I'm that kind of a person who thought that I would never become an entrepreneur. I've always thought that business is not something that I'm going to be good at. I've been um, something that you might call an educator and an academic. I actually have uh, five high education degrees. I've really enjoyed studying my whole life. And I realized that by studying in different countries, different universities, I actually get not only to you know to learn, to meet new people, but also to live and experience new countries. So that's what I've been doing. And I guess at some point um, when my ex-co-founder approached me and said, hey, I want to do something with uh, blockchain and startups. These two words, I had no idea about either of them, right? I mean, I've heard them, but in depth, I had no idea what they meant. I immediately said yes, because it was something new, it was something exciting, and I knew that I would not be alone on this journey. For me, it was very important um, to do it with someone. So that's how it started, and the first startup that we established is a legal tech company that deals with uh, protection of intellectual property of industrial design files, and as you might uh, imagine, that... The idea was not mine it was the idea of my co-founder and uh, it came to him after having been in the uh, sphere in the business for more than 10 years so it was something that actually he suffered through so um that's that's how we ended up in an incubator in the netherlands and we started working on the idea none of us uh, knew anything about running startups i mean he knew a lot about business traditional business but not actually running the startup you know validating ideas and all these things so it's been, of course, a very uh, um, important for us to learn how to do this, and uh, probably that's the reason why this learning-by-doing approach that I love so much now has become um, the theme of the second company that I started, which, like I mentioned, is a nonprofit uh, where we steer more women towards entrepreneurship, and it's actually a, what we call a startup game for women, which is... Uh, um, how can I say the quintessence, basically, of everything that I've learned by being uh, a foreign and a, you know female entrepreneur in an environment that's very resistant to change, industrial uh, design, industrial manufacturing um, in Europe, which in itself is not very interested in you know in change. Uh, when we were telling people that we're going to be using blockchain to protect intellectual property, uh, a lot of them back then, of course, uh, were you know they couldn't understand what it is we were doing because back in the day, so this was four years ago, people didn't know a lot about blockchain. They only heard uh, Bitcoin and for them, Bitcoin was scam. So immediately they didn't like Mm -hmm. hearing about that. Of course, things have changed since then a lot. And now uh, we are proud to say that according to the EU classification, we are a deep tech startup proudly using blockchain as an emerging technology.
0: Thank you for sharing that, but tell me, how did you how did you go from uh, being in like being as you said, in academia and to to being a startup founder and that to with a female founder, which comes with its own sets of biases and uh, and difficulties. So one of the one world is at least from my eyes, one world is very structured, very progressive, like one step, one step two, step three. And this startup world is very unpredictable, very new, very dynamic. So how do you, first of all, what led you from here to there? And then how do you manage that uh, that challenge? Yeah.
1: It's an interesting question because I've been thinking about it myself recently, seeing that I kind of want to frame the story of how I got from uh, the place where I thought I'm not good for business to a place where I cannot imagine doing anything else other than what I'm doing now, right? So it's a very drastic change. And I guess one of the reasons for this switch for me was the fact that I reached um, like the you know the end of my journey at that moment. So I was... Uh, already freelancing and before that i realized that i didn't want to be stuck in an office that's why probably my desire to study in different countries so i can actually you know uh, learn something new like learning these new things and testing them is something that i'm very passionate about so when i realized i do not want to be stuck in an office i became a freelancer i started teaching english and very quickly i realized that um, you know there's only seven days weekend week and I can only work, I don't know, up to 10 hours a day. And at some point after I think an hour, uh, uh, sorry, a, a year and a half, I realized that I'm, I'm burning out because uh, I'm working nonstop. And if I don't change something, either the business model uh, or hire people, then basically, you know, I'm done. And it's a, at that moment I was approached. And of course, uh, that's why I grasped this opportunity. I had no idea, uh, like I mentioned, what it was going to be like, but I immediately realized that it's something new that, you know, startups probably means I am not going to be stuck in the office, probably means that I'm going to be able to be free. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. not really, that's not really what it is, but you know, that's the idea. When you're an entrepreneur, you are at least more flexible with how much you work and where you work from, right? You're going to be working 24 seven, but at least you get to choose where you're going to be doing that from. So. And I mean, in the very beginning, especially, uh, the transition from academia to entrepreneurship has been on one hand uh, very smooth because it involved a lot of learning. Like I said, yeah, basically the first few months I just read all the books on startups that I could find uh, to figure out how um, to do this, so it's academia, but on the other hand, uh, when you're in academia, you're taught to write scientific papers to use very uh, complicated pitch with a lot of logic and big sentences. Yeah. And I've I, you know I love doing that, but uh, then came the time when we had to write our first funding application, and of course I wrote it in this very uh, academic language and uh, sent it to one of the people who was helping us with that, and he immediately sent it back saying, "Rewrite the whole thing. I don't understand anything." So, yeah, that was a huge uh, change for me that mentally was very hard when I had to change my academic language to a business language, basically talk to people from a position of um, not explaining to them why things are happening, but from the position of, uh, you know, their perspective, right? It's something that they need. I have to figure it out by uh, talking to them, right? So basically getting that validation and a lot of numbers. So uh, my first education, I'm a linguist. Like I said, I I taught uh, languages. I hate numbers. And of course, writing funding applications, you know, business plans, speeches, it's uh, uh, it's not just numbers, but you actually have to uh, pull them out of thin air to create Mm -hmm. all these projections. Oh my God, I remember the first year, I hated it so much. And now I'm noticing this switch Uh, that I'm actually enjoying these things. I'm enjoying looking at metrics, checking like every morning I would wake up and check what's been happening in uh, our landing page or like the signups, all of these things and figuring out uh, how to project what's going to happen from there on. So you change a lot. And I guess uh, that's normal, at least least for me maybe, because I'm a a person who is open to new experience that I switched from something that's very, very, slow one might say uh, academia is kind of slow when you compare it to entrepreneurship where uh, we move with the speed of uh, of the light basically and i guess i found my spot i mean now i'm trying to calm down a bit uh, a few years ago i was running even quicker because mm. i always thought there's always this idea that you're not doing enough as an entrepreneur you always think that oh my god I, there's so much more that needs to be done why am i not moving why are we so slow and now I realize that if I continue in that rhythm my whole life, then I'm, you know, I'm not going to be able to run for much longer. So I'm trying to uh, to calm down a bit now and get back to a bit of this slow motion.
0: Yeah, and as you said, right through this change, what are you realizing about yourself, your ability, your personality, your leadership style? Because you're doing one thing which you at once thought that you're not made up for that, right? So it could be business, it could be communication, it could be storytelling, numbers. Uh, But what does it leave you with for how do you look at yourself as a leader, as a person?
1: Well, one thing for sure, if I look at myself like four years ago and now, these are two totally different people. Absolutely. And um, there are certain things that I realize that I love, even though I would have never thought that I would. And one of those things is, for example, um, public speaking. I've always been a quiet shy kid. I remember myself uh, at school I was always trying to keep quiet and uh, now I love being on stage. I love talking about the you know the uh, journey that I've been through and hopefully inspiring some more women to uh, get into entrepreneurship just because if I can do this anyone can, right? I'm nothing special. Mm. I'm just a regular uh, girl next door and I'm doing what it is that I'm doing so it's not rocket science and um, of course also I realized that some of the things that maybe a good CEO should be good at I'm not good at that and I'm fine with that because if I push myself to do something that I inherently don't like it's gonna you know it's gonna lead to a burnout eventually Mm -hmm. so it's better to delegate something that you hate to someone who loves doing what it is that you hate. That's of course the idea of getting a co-founder that is a good match for you. So for example, if you hate uh, numbers projections, yeah, you gotta find someone who loves it, right? Because then you both will be doing uh, the things that you love and that's the relationship that will lead to a sustainable business. And seeing as the topic of this podcast is leadership, uh, I would like to yeah, <laughs> to, to say it openly that I don't think I enjoy leading and I don't think at some point that maybe I'm meant to be a great leader. And I'm fine with that. I actually said it out loud on stage a few months ago. It took me uh, a while to figure it out and to accept it. I mean, I've read every single book out there. I've listened to every single podcast out there, figuring out what it is that I can do to uh, be better at that. And then at some point I realized, maybe I'm just not meant to be that. Maybe mm. I need to you know, relax, calm down, and eventually uh, um, someone else in the team is gonna take over and they will be more natural at that. But of course for now, um, as the CEO, yes, I have to take care of all these uh, organizational things. And I realized that my team members look at me, uh, looking for guidance, because I'm supposed to have answers to all these questions but I honestly tell them that I don't. I mean, mm. who am I to know how to run a company when, you for example, you're in the middle of the pandemic and everything is going to hell, or uh, now and the next year when the economy is going to go, I don't even know where, who am I to know how to run a company, right? So I am blindly, just basically blindly uh, stepping forward one step at a time, and they are immediately behind me. So, uh, I don't know if I'm going to fall or not they're going to be the first people to find out. But basically, this is how, uh, how it's done. And from that point of view, I like the phrase that um, Elon Musk says, that entrepreneurship is basically about um, staring into the abyss and the chewing glass. And, and when I heard it for the first time, I'm like, yes, that's exactly how I feel. You know, you're staring uh, into the abyss because you have no idea, despite all the projections and everything, all the business plans that you've written, and all the promises that you make in your pitch deck about the, you know, where your company is going to be in five years—you have no idea what's going to happen even tomorrow, and no one can. Of course, you can believe into something, and of course, uh, we all do that. We're gonna—we all believe that we're going to be a successful, uh, entrepreneur, successful company, and so on and so forth. But really, you don't know anything, and the chew in the glass part, yes, it's. Uh, Something that I use an example is the fact that when you start running a company, you lose yourself in Mm. the sense that you are not free to do and say, whatever it is you want, because it might hurt the company. And so this realization, I didn't think about this before, but when I realized that, that freedom that everyone wants to have, when they become entrepreneurs, you lose it. The minute that you become, uh, you know, the face of the company. Everything you say can and will be used against you, right? Whatever, because you're not speaking as an individual anymore. You're speaking as a representative of the company. And it took me a while to absorb this information. I even talked about this with my business coach and with my mentor. I was frustrated uh, because I thought that I'm never going to be able to be myself anymore. And that's, of course, something that, uh, like, how can I live not being myself? And then at some point there was another switch in my personality, and I realized that I can't live this life, you know, pretending that I'm something that I'm not. Huh. So, so if I am to be a successful entrepreneur, and also to be a successful and happy person, I have to find a way for this, you know, for these two uh, worlds, for these two kind of personalities to be combined into one. And that's how, I don't know if uh, you saw that, but on LinkedIn, I call myself the mean CEO. That's how this brand, uh, this persona emerged. Somehow naturally was not you know planned. It just kind of happens. And I realized that, yeah, that's, I'm quite happy now in a sense that um, I don't have to pretend to be something that I'm not. I don't have to pretend to be nice just because uh, women are supposed to be nice. I don't have to pretend to be uh, agreeing to everything because women are supposed to be you know, agreeable. I don't have to pretend to only work 24 seven because entrepreneurs have to do that. So um, yeah, all of these things, when I realized that I do not have to pretend anymore and if there are people who hate that, great. It's not my problem. It's uh, their life, they prefer to hate me. It's absolutely something that they can do, but I'm not gonna be trying to live my life uh, so that everyone can like me because it's impossible. So, and I realized, of course, as soon as that image emerged, those people appear, those people who hate that I became very open. I started talking about female entrepreneurship a lot. I started reading about, um, especially, uh, the data gaps in, in female founded startups, because I got deeper into that without our nonprofit. And I started publishing these things. And of course there were always people who uh, didn't want to hear about that. And, uh, mm. they absolutely wanted to tell me that. And that's how I realized that, Hey, this, uh, this mean CEO brand is actually working because it's provoking emotion huh. and either positive or negative, you know, from the point of view of neuroscience, it doesn't matter as long as you're provoking emotions and people, they remember you. So, um, this is, yeah, this is how I turned from an academic, uh, quiet, shy girl into, uh, someone that calls yourself a mean CEO. I guess, uh, yeah, I guess it's a journey that you have to go through when you are, uh, uh, yeah, when you basically become an entrepreneur all this uncertainty and stability, you learn to uh, thrive in that. Um, mm. Because I think I do love it. And that's why I think I'm not as much affected by everything that's happening in the world as, uh, you know, people who love stability because I'm used to waking up in the morning, looking at my phone like, okay, what what's going to happen today? So yeah. you kind of grow thick skin when it comes to that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I love that. I love that whole narrative. But, uh, but what I'm also sensing is, is a deep sense of grounding or like integration of uh, the different sides of you, like from being a very shy person to somebody who is very open on the stage now, very comfortable on the stage now. Yet at the same time, the same experience can also be very... Uh, destabilizing or anxiety producing in the short term, in the mean term, especially for a lot of people. So can you share any key people who have helped you along towards journey? And on a day-to-day basis, are there any habits, any practices which you do to ensure that you stay in that stable, right? You don't tilt over either towards the mean side, the fake side, uh, or you go back into your shell?
1: Yeah, of course. I mentioned already that having co-founders is i think at least to me it's essential i mean i'm pro solo entrepreneurship and if some people think that they're better uh, on their own great probably it is better for them because they know themselves better for me it's not the case i need someone uh, beside me who i can trust and my first co-founder was not that person even though i'm very thankful to him that he got me into this because without him i would have never gotten into entrepreneurship so for that i'm uh, very thankful, but as we continued working together, it just didn't uh, yeah. it didn't work, and for multiple reasons, uh, we separated. And I found someone else who became my co-founder, and that person has actually been ideal for me because he's he's my rock in that sense. So I become too uh, emotional, in the sense that, oh my God, we're not going to make it, uh, oh. We're gonna fail or that is not gonna work out why is everything going wrong you know sometimes you need to uh, allow yourself to express all these negative emotions because if you keep them inside of you you're going to explode at some point so um uh, and he will be the one telling me why that's not going to happen because he he's a lawyer so i guess that comes uh, naturally for them as well to always be able to keep their calm and um you know not, not scream out loud ah, we're all gonna die so uh, that's been great. I mean, the fact that I found him was pure coincidence, and um, we clicked at that level as well. So we clicked not only in the business world, but also personally. And uh, yeah, I guess I'm going to tell that that uh, th- this Monday we actually got married.
0: <laughs> mm. Congratulations.
1: <laughs> so um, just to say that, I guess if you find your person, then you can, uh, you're perfect with them both in personal life and in business. And I guess the fact that we are you know, together, not only as business partners, but together as well, is actually something that is beneficial. Because like, if I were an entrepreneur and he would not be, he would not understand why I'm working 24 seven or why sometimes I have to work at night and I can't uh, go out with the kids to the playground because there is this deadline. But he understands because, well, we are together in this. From that point of view, uh, it's great on the other hand of course it's not because we're you know both working too much but um i think it's a great combination when you know both people in the family are entrepreneurs because then you can understand uh, you don't need to explain that you're not crazy you know Mm. you all know that yes we are crazy we are entrepreneurs that comes with the territory and also by accident absolutely during the pandemic i found um, another person who also became well not the co-founder but like the core uh, team member and also there was this it's he, he lost his job i found him on linkedin basically just you know just an accident and uh, we've been you know together ever since for what is it more than three years now and that's also i think been one of these events that was very influential and very uh, beneficial for the company because we've been through a lot together right so so all of the make the fact that the company almost died because we didn't know if we we're going to get funding or not. So we kind mm-hmm. of, you know, went through all of this and I know that no matter what, these are the two people that I can always trust to be there for me uh, if something happens, like if one of us is sick, the other two are going to pick up the the work and try to uh, make sure that we all survive as a company. So that's, um, yeah, that's something that's very important for you to have uh, support because you cannot be perfect. No one's perfect. You cannot be good at everything, it's impossible, right? So you're always good at something else. And if you manage to find um, another person who is good at the opposite, then it's great. And I'm sorry, I forgot the second part of the question.
0: Yeah. The second part was uh, like on a day-to-day basis, what are some of those habits or practices that help you maintain that stability or balance?
1: Yes. uh, I am not an organized person at all. I am more of the, today I want to do that kind of person. And first, of course, I was worried that, oh my God, that's not a habit of a good CEO, of a good leader, of a good entrepreneur. But then I realized, well, no one knows what a good entrepreneur is because they they all come in different shapes and uh, they're all different. So some of the things that I like to do are the ones that give me energy. So, and they may all be different at different times because it depends on what it is that I need. So, if, for example, I need um, to like reboost my battery, then for me, it's the sun, it's the sea. So, I make sure that I have a few days when I can actually go to the beach and preferably be alone. I like to be alone to clear my thoughts, maybe even put a podcast in my ears just to, or something in the background. But being alone and, um, thinking about whatever, uh, with this stream of consciousness that comes to your head. That helps me clear everything that's been going on. And usually it also leads to a a clearer understanding of what it is that needs to be done. Um, What else? I realized that, I don't know if I mentioned that, but the fact that we have an office in the Netherlands and now we have an office in Malta, I realized how different I am when I'm in one country and the other. It's incredible how the climate, the sun uh, changes you, your biological clock. So in the Netherlands, I'm not active at all until uh, 10 or 11 AM. I mean, I will never set meetings uh, for early in the day because I need uh, a lot of Mm -hmm. coffee to, to wake up. It's very hard for me to uh, wake up here because there's usually no sun, I guess in Malta i started getting up at 5 a.m and i was full of energy Mm. and of course i'm totally different there i started working very early (laughs) in the morning i realized that i was very productive which of course meant that i went to bed earlier uh, which is something that i didn't do here but uh, that's another realization uh, that the things we do and the way we feel and the level of energy that we have it depends so much on what and who you surround yourself with right so it's it's not not only the people but also the place and yeah first i was a bit um reluctant to share the fact that we also have an office in malta because it's not even an office it's we decided not to go for the traditional office because we have one in the netherlands we decided uh, and it was just pure coincidence that it happened to uh, get a villa where we would all live and work so we call it a startup villa and it's this we found this amazing place with um wonderful view and the pool and we all live there and we all work there so basically i felt a bit uh, ashamed to share that this is our office because people on uh, linkedin for example they would be like oh my god they're not working there you know they're just partying doing nothing this is uh, you know what startups are supposed to be but then I realized that hey, the fact that um, that we have that villa is basically something that's given me this energy, and I can work and it can be so much more productive uh, than when I am in the Netherlands. So my uh, eight-hour working day in the Netherlands, I can work for ten or twelve hours uh, in Malta nonstop every day without without feeling tired, mm. right? Because that level of energy. Is so much higher maybe it's because of the sun maybe it's because of the pool because i really love this combination as i mentioned it it boosts uh, my creativity so the fact that we actually you know paying for this wheel, well, yes we have to work harder to be able to afford that because yeah someone has to pay for that but it's already paying for it with me being happier and full of energy which means that uh, Especially for the team as well. If they see that I'm happy, that I'm content, they might feel uh, relaxed as well. Despite Mm. everything that's happening in the world. That if I'm not freaking out, that maybe things are not that bad and uh, there's hope for the future. Other than that, I try to do sports. Nothing um, that is scheduled. I try to put that into my schedule and work always one. Every time I had to make a choice between a a walk and a meeting, I took a meeting. Which I regret about now because you know my my health kind of went uh, downhill and I had to uh, bring it back up. But definitely a, a, a walk or taking your bicycle out or going to the gym, things like that, does help uh, tremendously. Because I do believe that if you exercise physically, then your mentality, your your brain is actually going to be more healthy. And other than that, I. Yeah, I try to eat healthy. I think this is also very important, but n- nothing extreme. Let's put it this way. I don't have mm-hmm. any mantras that I don't, um, that I follow without exceptions. Yeah. Sometimes I like to have, uh, you know, wine and eat, eat a pizza and I don't feel bad for that because it's once again, something that pleases me, that makes me happy, that gives me energy, because I know that I can um, put that energy into something more, for example, right? Yes. So it's all about that balance for me, mm-hmm. energy balance. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah and. Um, I love that answer and so many friends. right? One, uh, you shared about the power of a team which complements yeah. each other and that helps so much as you shared. But the second part, right, when you shared about uh, what works for you, uh, so, so the eating, the moving your body, uh, the different rhythms in different places, but more than that, what I loved was uh, really being op- okay to understanding yourself and see what works for you. Rather than taking a strategy because you read it somewhere and then saying, I am not a morning person or I cannot do this, but to really see that there is no definition of, as you said, right, of what is a good entrepreneur. And then uh, and it's become so much important as a female entrepreneur or anybody who's not uh, in that, uh, like the majority, yep. and uh, because most of the articles, most of the books, most of the advice you are hearing is coming from a male perspective. Or is coming from a very like a hustle grind uh, perspective. And what you have done is you have made it your own, but also made it very comfortable for you to be in your own skin. Right. And I think that itself is a huge learning or a huge lesson for uh, any leader, like right? especially yes. somebody coming from a minority community. Uh, so I, I love that answer on so many fronts.
1: Yes. And like, like I said, it took me a while to accept it. I tried to pretend to be someone that I'm not for a while, because I thought that would be something that's better for my company. And in the end, no, if you are as an entrepreneur, unhappy about something, your company is going to suffer because of that. That's as simple as that, right? Uh, Because you won't have the energy to do the things that need to be done. So yes, that is of course, something uh, that I try to put out there when we're doing the startup game for women and when we talk about different things, we even have what I call wine sessions. Once in a mm-hmm. while, Where in the evening, we just have a meeting. We don't record it unlike other sessions. And we just talk about all the things that, um, that worry us, of course, things that you would never be able to talk about, uh, if it were a, a typical environment or even an incubator, things like, Hey, um, Like, how do you approach investors if uh, your partner is also your husband? Because I'm not the only one in that situation. There were others. And, of course, all the books uh, say that no, investors do not like it when uh, you're working with your partner, so it's better not to uh, do that, right? Okay, it's better not to do that, but we are doing that, right? So so how can we approach that? And you come to the realization that you're not going to be able to hide it for the rest of your life, especially if... uh, Like you have kids and (laughs) they call your partner daddy. So that's, you know, you you can't uh, hide that. So it's the the journey to the acceptance of who you are and that even if you don't fit, uh, as you said, into the stereotype of uh, what a perfect entrepreneur should be, that it has nothing to do with decreased chances of success. Nothing. Because surprise, there is no data to prove anything. Uh, Because all the data that we have is uh, about Silicon Valley level uh, startups who are, of course, mostly male. And that has nothing to do with uh, a European woman, for example. Nothing. Like you said, two different separate worlds, not only from the gender perspective, but also from the startup ecosystem perspective. Two different uh, worlds. So, yes, the fact that we do not have, as female entrepreneurs, we don't have any role models who are out there. It sucks because um, it's not even from the point of view that you have not, no one to follow, but it's from the point of view, like, am I alone in this?
0: Mm. You,
1: you don't know if uh, you are normal or not, right? You think that there must be something wrong with you if there is no one out there that, you know, looks the same, feels the same. And from that point of view, I, I think it's been very helpful to uh, to the women and to me as well to accept the fact that Hey, we're all different. Yes, uh, we are doing business differently. Maybe it's not even the gender thing, but maybe it's the fact that we were taught to think in gender uh, stereotypes for this long, right? We always uh, keep on saying, hey, women, that meant that. But what if it's not that? And now there is actually a bit of data to support that. And I like that example very much. Uh, I'm also a bit of a fan of neuroscience and there's been research that uh, proves that the brain of an entrepreneur is different from the brain of a non-entrepreneur. And from that point of view, it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman. So my brain would be similar to a brain of another male entrepreneur, but would mm-hmm. be very different from someone who is not in entrepreneurship. So there's really like no gender correlation here whatsoever, but it's the fact that you know entrepreneurs yeah. are...
0: Crazy people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but again, uh, again, maybe one more learning from neuroscience is that, and also from your experience, and also from my experience, that you can also change, you can also shift. Just because something is new to you, or something looks weird or difficult, doesn't mean that something is wrong with you. And then you can change, and you can still make it your own, right? You can uh, enter into a field which is very new, but you can don't have to accept everything which you see, and you can make it your own. You can learn without it being anything judgmental about yourself. And that's what uh, I'm also listening from you, right? That if you accept yourself for who you are, continuously change and adapt and learn, uh, then that that is it in itself leadership, right? That in itself is what gives to your every communication. That gives to your every action that you're taking. It's infused with that energy. Other than, uh, like, if you are lost, if you are feeling confused, if you are doubting yourself, no matter how well you do the strategy, it still reflects that confusion, that doubt, still reflects, and also it eats up, eats you up from the inside, right? So it's it's, yeah. it's not worth it. Uh, so I, I love that, and it's a small trivial nuance of accepting who you are uh, while still finding your way in this world, which will throw you, throw at you everything but it's so meaningful, it's so powerful that I wanted to highlight that.
1: Yes, and it's a pity that this idea is actually not promoted um, to uh, beginning entrepreneurs, right? I've been in several uh, business incubators because um, like I mentioned that most of my entrepreneurial journey has been through the pandemic. So when that happened and all the offline meetings uh, were canceled, I saw that there were a few incubators that went online and I took the opportunity to, you know, to apply to as many of them as I could, because I realized that, Hey, if I'm not learning something new each day, uh, the company is going to die because like no one knows what to do now. Right. The mm-hmm. pandemic, no one understands what it is that we're supposed to do now. So I needed to learn as much new information from as many smart people, uh, as I could find to see if I can figure out what to do next. And now looking back at that time, I realized that. None of the incubators concentrated on the founder as an individual, as a person, and their journey in entrepreneurship, right? So they all concentrate only on the business aspects of that. But come on, an entrepreneur is the most important part of that. If an entrepreneur gives up, that's all the whole company is dead, right? So it's kind of important to make sure that we grow these people to become resilient. And to understand that what they're going through is not unique in a sense that a lot of people are going through that. And no one talks about that. So I figured this whole thing out by myself when I realized at some point that I have no idea what I'm doing. There's always a point in your life when you're like, okay, what now? i tried everything, nothing works. What am I gonna do? So I turned to books. I decided to go back to my academic roots. Um, and in half a year, I think I read 150 books basically i devoured everything that i could find about entrepreneurship about startups about uh, venture capitalists about um perspective everything that i could and when i was reading some of the good books i'm like oh my god that's it that explains so much why haven't i been told about this before when experienced entrepreneurs are talking about their journey of running a company a few years ago, and they've been going through the same things that I'm going through. And I didn't know that it was normal. I thought that, you know, I just suck at being an entrepreneur, that's it, there is no other explanation. And I couldn't ask anyone because no one wants to talk about the bad things, right? Mm. Everyone only wants to talk about the success. No one wants to talk and acknowledge that they've also failed, but everyone fails. Uh, the fact that we are hiding this, we don't have the failure culture as, as I call this, we are only talking about the good things, but not acknowledging the bad things, is the fact that we are growing uh, the future generation of entrepreneurs, not knowing what the previous generation went through. So there is no this uh, exchange of knowledge, exchange of experience. If someone told me in the incubator in the very beginning, come on, be prepared uh, mm. that, that you're gonna, you're gonna break down, that you're gonna, you know, sometimes cry at nights because everything is going wrong or the deals don't go through or something else. It's normal, everyone goes through that. There's a lot of uh, men in Silicon Valley that have had breakdowns that ended up in um, institutions because they were so involved in their companies. And that's what happens. I'm not saying that it's a normal thing to have, but that's something that's been happening to men, to women, doesn't matter to anyone. So accept this as a norm and don't think that there is something wrong with you, but try to keep this in mind so you can actually prevent that situation that you stop when you realize that, you know, that you are almost uh, going off the cliff. You have yeah. to learn to listen to yourself and stop before that. Incubators do not talk about this. So this has been this very pivotal thing for me, and I realized that I'm going to put this as a very important part of uh, education for the female entrepreneurs, because for us, it's even more important. I'm going to be a bit sexist now, but I think women in general are more emotional in the sense that uh, we tend to overthink things sometimes. Maybe not everyone, but at least, um, at least when I see how my co-founders, my male co-founders react to the same situation as I do, it's totally different reaction, right? So it's from them is from the point of view of logic. For me, it's from the point of view of emotion in the sense that I need to uh, live through my emotions for several minutes to let the, and then I can come down and go on. If I don't let it all out, it's going to continue eating me, so I have to Yeah, this. They don't have to do this, so they're fine without that. And, of course, when you do that as a woman, some might say, ah, she's uh, you know, emotionally unstable. No, it's not that. It's exactly the fact that I'm emotionally stable, and that I'm allowing myself to live through those emotions, to let them out, to accept them, and to move on. That allows yeah. me to become uh, as resilient as I am. So... Yeah, women need to know that it's okay to uh, to sometimes go out into the open field, scream your lungs out, you know, come back and yeah. continue. That uh, yeah. everyone does it, it's just that some people are hiding it.
0: Yeah, and I can tell you, right, that's, uh, that's healthy for every human being, irrespective of whether they're a man or a woman, right? Uh, we yeah. all have emotions, even though it might be difficult for men to show that or to really be open with it. But keeping it inside it is in itself uh, huge, like it can cause huge damage over a period of time. And then expressing it out in whichever way works for you. Again, there is no right and wrong way here, but really, letting it flow through you, letting it express it out is where you like really give meaning to who you are. And that's how you accept, right? How can you accept your fear? How can you express, uh, accept your frustration? And you still move forward with the commitment that you have taken out, irrespective of whether you are a man or a woman if you are a leader you have a commitment uh, then how can you accept that fully feel it fully and still honor that commitment yeah so so coming back to the present moment right uh, what are some of the challenges given this journey that you have had what are some of the challenges that you see for the next uh, next phase of your life of your leadership
1: well i think it's not much different from what's been happening in the past couple of years it's the fact that I don't have a roadmap for what to do just because no one, as I think already mentioned, no one knows how it is to run a startup through the pandemic, through the war, through the economic recession with a team that's as I call remote by circumstances, because some of the team members have been with me for two, three years and I've never seen them. So if someone gonna tell me, how to manage a team that's also multicultural, also very, uh, of course, gender and age diverse. So different generations, right? So if someone's going to give me a book that will explain to me how to run a company like that would be awesome, but that book doesn't exist. Just because uh, no one has been in exactly that situation where I am now. So people, uh, I I can, of course, pick up bits and pieces from here and there, but then they usually don't uh, fit into the same puzzle. So once again, I have to figure out, okay, this is my double RASA, what am I gonna draw on it? And I guess it depends uh, on the vision that I have for uh, what it is that I wanna achieve. One of the exercises, uh, one of the first things that uh, women have to do in our startup game is actually to write a vision of themselves. So the exercise hmm. is using present tense, not future, but present, describe where you are five years from now. So what you're doing, who you're with, uh, how you're feeling. So all of these things, as if it's already happening now. Because it's uh, something that, of course, give you, gives you a perspective. Okay, so what do I do in five years? Of course, everyone's going to say, hey, I want to be successful, I want that. But like in details, what it is uh, that, that you want to do, how you want to feel, who you're going to be with, then you will basically be able to walk back from there and mm-hmm. see what it is that you need to do now to be able to reach uh, that situation five five years from now. And I gave up on plans long time ago. I mean, of course, as a startup, you have to write business plans, you have to write, oh my God, so many of them. (laughs) But so if I have to do this, I only do this for the purposes of applications or someone wants me to do that. But uh, deep inside, I understand that I have no plan other than to bring the company to success and success is something that's very personal and individual to everyone despite the fact that there are of course business metrics Uh, but i think i've been asked that question by someone like how do you become successful i say but i am i think i am successful already it's just that my definition of success is probably different from the definition of uh i don't know someone who is running a unicorn uh, level startup in silicon valley but am I less successful more I think it also once again depends on how I feel at that moment if I feel successful great I am who's there to tell me that I'm not uh, so the goal is to become more successful exponentially more successful than I am now I know it sounds like I'm not very uh, um, how can I say this you can't put this in a business plan right Where do you see a company in <coughs> five years uh, 10x more successful than we are now, but in 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 a few words, it's uh, a company that is doing something that's not only good from the business perspective, but also good from the perspective of uh, the team and myself as a founder. Yes, I'm going to be egoistic here because, like I said, if I'm as a founder not happy, there will not be a company at this point at least because now early stage. Um, if I'm gone, the company is gone. It's, I'm not saying this to to make myself sound more important than I am, but it is uh, uh, what it is at the very early stage, right? You are your company. You are this part that is very integral to it. So if, if you're gone, the company is gone. So I'm really hoping that soon enough I will take the company to the stage where that's gonna change, where I will understand that if I'm gone for a month or two, nothing's gonna fall apart. And that's very important because for four years, for three and a half years, I've never had an actual vacation because of that, right? Hmm. So, because you understand that if you're gone for more than a few days, uh, everything stops because it's such a very fragile organism, this company. This year, this summer, I made myself take a vacation. I basically pulled myself out of the office to the pool and I wanted four weeks off for the first three w- uh, weeks out of that i couldn't stop working in my brain my brain continued working and only the last week i managed to have a bit of the quiet time so that's definitely one of the things in my roadmap to be able to uh to have people around me that will be uh, able to run the company while i can take yeah. some time off because definitely i will need it to make sure that i come back with more energy mm-hmm. so uh which means yeah Growing the team is extremely important. Um, Other than that, I think surviving by any means necessary. So what's called the cockroach mode, because unfortunately, I'm not very optimistic about what's coming uh, the next years. We're going to have a huge economic recession. It's already happening with big companies firing thousands of people. So it's, yeah, it's going to get worse before it gets better. So it's cockroach mode for a lot of uh, startups for the next uh, several years, I think. So it managed to survive that and hopefully even thrive in that uncertainty. Then I'm going to take the company to the level where hopefully one day, and I'm going to quote two terms uh, of uh, Ben Horowitz that I love. Hopefully one day I will be able to switch from wartime CEO to a peacetime CEO. I don't know if you're familiar with the concept.
0: Yes, I am.
1: Yes. And yeah, I love yeah. when I read that, I realized, oh my God, that explains so much. So the wartime CEO mm-hmm. is basically the first years of running a startup. You are constantly yeah. in this war mode where mm. you have to fight for survival. And then once the company is uh, more stable, then you can relax and you can uh, think about things like vision, mission, corporate culture, and all these things, which I tried uh, thinking about earlier, and I always postponed them because there were more emergent things like survival coming up. So yeah, getting to yeah. the peacetime CEO mode, uh, that's the goal.
0: Thank you. Yeah, thank you Veleta for sharing everything, and I want to wish you all the best uh, in this journey that lies ahead. Uh, and before we end right, if anybody who wa- who is listening and wants to reach out or find out more about you and what you are up to, what is the best way to do so?
1: Well, definitely uh, LinkedIn. You, know, you can find me, I think, if you will put me in CEO there. It's very easy. And, of course, also you can send me an email. It's uh, violeta at femaleswitch.com. And, uh, yeah, I think if you Google me, you will find me everywhere. I'm pretty much in every social media trying to stay active. But, yeah, the femaleswitch.com is the project that we're putting a lot of energy into now. And... Uh, Definitely for every woman that wants to become an entrepreneur or just wants to try to see if it's something for her, that's uh, definitely a place to be because we have wine sessions as well.
0: Perfect. Thank you for sharing all of that. I will make sure that I include those links uh, along with the show notes. Uh, And I think what you're doing is uh, already setting an example for so many, not only women leaders, but also men to how to really be themselves, how to be open and not to fall into those uh, definitions, which you see of what a man should or should not, or what a woman should or should not. And then how can you, you know, still live up to the commitments of the responsibilities that you have as a leader, yet going it in a way that is sustainable and that doesn't eat eats you up. In fact, it fills you up with uh, with joy and energy as you really accept who you are and show your authentic self and lead from that. Thank you, thank you once again. Yep.
1: Well, thanks for having me here. It's been a pleasure to talk about this.
0: Same here. That's it for this episode of Choosing Leadership with Sumit Gupta. I choose leadership every time I record this podcast. And I invite you to do the same. I invite you to design a life of joy, meaning, pride, and satisfaction. Not just for yourself, but for everybody around you. If you got something out of this episode, would you share this episode on social media? And if you know somebody who would be a great guest, can you tag them on social media to let them know about the show? And if you are a leader who wants to acknowledge how far you have come and have big dreams for the future, please reach out to me to be a guest on this podcast. And I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. This is what I do most naturally to lovingly and gently provoke you to help you see your own light, to help you see what you are already capable of. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and it means a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to deployyourself.com and subscribe to my newsletter or follow me on LinkedIn. I want to thank everyone who contributed to making this show a reality. And I want to thank you for listening. Always remember that you are enough, you are loved and you matter. This is Sumit. Until next time, keep choosing leadership.